The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you gotta love it, it's good like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California. Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today is a show about really dog love and the healing power of our dogs, but it goes a lot deeper. Um, the name of this book that I've just been reading is called Dog Medicine, How My Dog Saved Me From Myself by Julie Barton. And Julie has experienced um, a really tough childhood and really um, has gone through a lot. I'm going to have her tell a little bit about it, but I wanted to read one of the testimonials on the book. It says, anyone who's ever opened their heart and asked an animal to teach them how to live, and there are so many of us, which you and I are one of them, um, will deeply be moved by the story of Julie Barton and her soulmate Bunker. In this honest, glorious, unself-conscious, and compelling memoir, she does great honor not only to her dog, but to the miracles made possible when logic and even language is not allowed to stand in the way of love. And that's by Pam Houston, author of Saint Hound. So let me tell you a little bit about Julie. Julie Barton is a writer. She's the mother of two and a dog lover who lives in the Bay Area of Northern California. Her writing has been published in numerous magazines and journals, including The Brainchild, The South, the South Carolina Review, Louisiana Literature, uh, Two Hawks Quarterly, Westville, as well as Huffington Post. She holds an MFA in fiction writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts and an MA in women's studies from Southern Connecticut State University. So you can find out more about her at her website. It's by bybyjuliebarton.com. Julie, thank you so much for joining us from Northern California. Thank you, Mari. Thank you for having me. Well, why don't we start out and just kind of tell a little bit about the the challenges that you had with depression and and how all that began when you were little a young child yeah um <clears throat> well i 
first really realized that I, something was wrong um, when I was 22, and I had a breakdown or whatever you want to call it. I collapsed on the floor and couldn't get up. Um, and it started long before that, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't have a name for it. Um, I was a very sensitive kid. I was very connected to nature and connected to animals, and in particular, the dogs in my family. And they were my um, lifeline when things were rough. And um, I wouldn't say that I had a bad childhood. I would say that I had a very difficult relationship um, with my sibling and that my parents didn't know how to help us. Um, and that left me feeling very um, low on self-esteem. Uh, it left me thinking nobody likes me, I can't do anything right, um, which is a recipe for depression. Yes. Um, and I didn't know that that was not the way everybody lived. I just was always beating myself up in my mind. And it's, I'm 42 now, and it's still a practice I have to be very conscious of on a daily basis. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, there are statistics that there are 350 million people worldwide that suffer from depression. It's, it's really kind of an epidemic, and I know yep. that, that we've had it in our family as well. And yep. um, and we we hear of suicides. I know of the Saddleback Church, um, Pastor Warren, his son committed suicide. So this is not something that we have to take lightly. And unfortunately, it's kind of a um, a silent disease. You know, uh, people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid that people, you know, are going to um, judge them in a in a way that's really unfair. And uh, it's kind of a, a rough thing. And, yeah. And so I think, you know, especially now that you have children of your own, you, um, you know, you, you're much more intuitive and, in, you know, you have that great insight as yeah. well. Yeah, well, and, and you know, <clears throat> when it comes to young people, from age 15 to 29, the second leading cause of death of that age is suicide. First leading, co- first leading cause of death is mm. um car accidents. And the second is suicide. And the reason, one of the reasons that I'm talking about this the way that I am is because we need to be talking about it, especially when it comes to young people. It's really important that we listen to them, that if we notice that um, somebody seems down, we check in. And if they don't want to talk to us, we check in again. Um, And I do believe that the stigma around depression and mental illness is, is lifting slowly, but it's not, it's not gone yet, and um, that's partly why I've been speaking to so many people and being an advocate for people like me who, you know, I wouldn't be here without the treatment that I received and the medication that I still take. Um, and I'm proud that I survived, and I think there are some qualities to a depressed mind that, um, that are great. There's a deep sensitivity and empathy and understanding of emotion that comes with um, tending towards depression, but you have to be extra careful, and you have to take extraordinary care of yourself, um, which is not always easy to do. And I tell people, 
that I treat my disease like any chronic disease because when you have major, you know, clinical depression, it's it's not just a one episode thing. It's your it's your life. It's a constant battle, um, and it's highly treatable. You can be treated and and get well and stay well, but you can also be treated and do nothing different, and you'll still have a relapse. In which case, you have to go. Okay, well, here I am. It's just like a flare up of any other disease. You go to the doctor. You get your medication changed if you need to. You see your therapist. You take great care of yourself. Um, and so I'm just advocating for that on behalf of people of every age who are suffering because there's so many of us. Yes. And, and you know, and when, when they do an MRI and they do these tests on you, they can actually see chemical changes yeah. that, that when depression, you know, sets itself in. So yeah. it's, um, it, I know I, we have some in our family and so I know all about it, about using the, the drugs and also having the cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. also really helps because what we, we tend to think that the thoughts that we're thinking are reality Right. And we forget or we, we aren't trained that to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to have that thought. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, no, that no, go away. True. I need to yeah. have, yeah, that's not really true. I yeah. can choose a different thought. And so I think that's very empowering along with the medicine to help you kind of get over that hurdle. But then to start at the same time um, training your mind to, to, to know that we can change our thoughts. And I think that's yeah. for everyone, whether we suffer major s- depression or not, we can all kind of slip into that yeah. when we, the way we choose our thoughts. So absolutely. So the absolutely. And, and, and it's, you know, there's a great, it's a, it's a great segue into dogs because there's right. studies about the release of oxytocin in your brain, both in the human brain and in the dog brain. When we look in a dog's eyes, and when we pet a dog, and it's uh, it's the love hormone, it's the cuddle hormone, it, it's positive feelings, and that for me was really what turned me around and got me back out into life, um, because when I first had my first major episode of depression and not understanding what was going on, I was really um, lost for a few months and um, not able to function and sleeping, you know, 20 hours a day. And the one hopeful thing I thought I could do was get a dog. Yes. And I did. And his attention to me and his sensitivity to me changed everything. Mm. He knew that there's a scene in the book where I've had him for a few days and the first day I had him, I had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning because he was a puppy, and I had to take him outside. Right. And just being awake and outside at that hour shifted something in me, and I started to feel better. I started to wake up feeling better. And then there was, I'd had him for about three days, and I thought I started to feel down again, and I thought, well, now, now I'm going to be depressed and have this big responsibility, and how am I going to? And he noticed, and he walked across the room, and he sat down on my feet, and he leaned against my legs, and he just looked up at me. And it was as if he was saying, I see you, and, yeah. and I, am, I recognize that you're not feeling good right now, and I see you. It wasn't feel better. It wasn't, oh, my gosh, stop. It was, I'm noticing right. this right now, which was such 
exactly what I needed because I was 22. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, my parents were doing their very best to help me, and they did do so much to try to help me. But um, I wasn't about to, you know, follow all of their advice. And they were, you know, 75% highly annoying to me at that, <laughs> at that right, point. Right, right. And so to have this animal as a companion who deeply understood me was like taking another blanket of iron off of my heart. You know, it was it, it lifted me. And with him by my side, I was um, able to start to function again and get back into the world. Yeah, I think people who don't have a dog don't get it. They, they mm-hmm. just don't understand how this dog is truly unconditional love, doesn't care what you look like, doesn't yeah. care what you smell like, doesn't tell you what you should be doing, <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't give you advice, right, mm-hmm. like parents do, um, doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't uh, give you suggestions, and mm-hmm. doesn't do anything, just is there with you, looking at you, cuddling with you, laying on top of you, laying on your feet, Um, And it it is such a healing power. You know, I mean, we we see these guys coming back from Afghanistan with, you know, all of these horrible things that they've seen and their post-traumatic stress disorder. And they give them dogs. And look at the incredible stuff that happens that they start to heal as well. It's, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a huge and complete transformation to see them have these, these companion animals who are, are highly sensitive to an anxiety attack or to, you know, calming them when there's a loud noise that might startle them. Um, and actually that was the very first, the first time I thought maybe I could write this book and tell this story was reading about an Iraq vet named Jake who had a dog named Maya who um, he, she was his, his medicine dog and he, she would notice when he was, start, was about to start to have very severe panic attacks and she would help him pull him out a little bit and she would stay by his side. She would bring him medication and you know, she was a trained therapy dog but there's something innate and beautiful in the way that these animals are such incredible intuitives and understand um, where we're coming from and how we're feeling and maybe what we need and maybe we need to go outside and go for a walk. You know, maybe we need to learn to be um, a little bit more in charge. We need to be the alpha, so we need to teach them. Um, Maybe we need to learn responsibility. Um, And maybe we just need love. And I've told people, too, that I don't think every single dog is, is... you know, a lot of dogs, my current dog is a rescue and we're his fourth home mm-hmm. and he came with a lot of issues. Um, and I think at this point in my life when I was doing better, it's kind of interesting that the dog that came to me had a lot of needs and I've been able to calm him down right. and help him feel comfortable. Um, so I don't know, maybe you get what you need when you need right. it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and then I saw a documentary on TV about how they were taking rescue dogs and um, bringing them to prisons. Yeah. And yeah. so then the prisoners were there to train. You know, they were teaching yeah. them how to train the dogs so that the train that the dogs could go back out into the to the world and and be good dogs and get adopted. And what they found was is that the prisoners themselves were opening up 
for those who had been abused as children, who those who had committed heinous crimes, that they yeah. were softening, they were becoming gentle, they were becoming, they were for the first time, some of them, you know, were saying, this is the first time in my life I felt loved. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I, I, I think there's something really remarkable to the human canine bond. And um, I'm so happy that they're doing that and taking dogs that might otherwise be euthanized and, and giving them and the prisoners a second chance. Yes. And it's just the most beautiful thing. And, you know, my, my dog, no question, was my lifeline. And um, I imagine that if you're in prison and you're in a cold environment and there's not much love and you have a warm, furry creature who's happy to see you every single time you approach him or her, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful it connection. Will, and that will really soften them because, what, because love brings love. Right? Exactly, <laughs> and and there is nothing like a love from from your pet, and you know, and mm-hmm. I I the only other pet I ever had in my life was a duck, Butterfluff, <laughs> which I won in an Easter egg contest. You know, my parents worked, and I could never have a dog, and I always wanted a dog. Mm-hmm. And then when when my ex spouse and I the first, and he never had a dog, so our first anniversary we got a dog. You know, and she was so she was you know for seven dollars at the ASPCA we mm-hmm. got her, and she was very intuitive. She was you know our introduction to a dog. And then I've had golden retrievers and I get it because um, your wonderful, wonderful golden retriever, Bunker. Let's talk a little bit about Bunker and and you, you kind of mentioned when you got him. Um, but let's let's talk about Bunker and his yeah. uh, a little bit more about... Well, you know, I, I, I knew that a dog could potentially help me. Um, and my mom looked in the newspaper and found two family farms that had litters near us because we were in Ohio where I grew up. And um, we went to the first house and they had an adorable collection of puppies that were frolicking. And But I just didn't, they all kind of ran away and, and I just didn't feel a connection. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't it or maybe I'm, maybe this is a bad idea. And we went to the second house, which was a farm in a town called Alexandria, Ohio, and I got out of the car, and my mom was talking to the breeder, and I walked over to see the puppies who were just roaming around the yard, and this little orange fluffball puppy walked up to me and just sat down, you know, six inches from my toes and looked up at me, and it was like he was like, there you are. I've been looking for you. Right. Um, and I picked him up, and he licked my nose, and I was officially a goner. Yeah. And um, I took him home, and he fell asleep in my lap. And it was it was as if we'd you know known each other in many lives, and we finally found each other in this particular one at just the right time or something. It was it was uh, it was like love at first sight, but it was with a dog. Yeah, he chose you. <laughs> and that's kind of what happened with our current golden um the same kind of a thing it was like he chose us mm-hmm. the other dogs ignored us and he just uh, i had thrown in a, a a toy that my other previous golden had had who was an incredible incredible dog and i threw the toy in 
and everybody ignored it or was too tired, um, except for Jupy, who is the, mm. was our dog now, who ran after it and grabbed it. And, <laughs> and then we picked him up, and he kissed us all over. And the other ones we picked up, too, and they kissed us, but not like this guy. So we said, yeah. okay, this is the guy. He's yeah. choosing us. So yeah. that's I remember reading in your book, your dog chose you. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I tell people. I say, you know, um, if you're getting a dog, wait for the spark. You'll know it when you see it. And also, you know, one of the things I do say is um, I'm not advocating that any depressed person go out and, and get a dog. because They may not a, be able to handle it. They yeah. may not be able to handle it. It may not be the right species for you. It may not be, you know, you may not have the time or the resources, and it's a big responsibility. Um, and it may not be what brings you joy. But, you know, in whatever category it is that, when you were a kid or when you were young or whenever has brought you joy and peace and something you you love or think you love or you're curious about, um, that's what you should follow when you're, when you're in the darkness. And, and that's the other, one of the things I talk about with being in the darkness and trying to find something that is, brings you joy. And for me, it was a dog, but, um, one of the things that I learned in the process of going through this and writing this book is that it's actually okay to be sad. It's really okay to to feel sorrow. Um, our Especially culture, if somebody passes, you know, when we absolutely. grieve. I mean, we lose our dog. It, it's just so heart-wrenching. Or we lose a family member or someone finds out that they're... Um, you know, that they have some terrible illness yeah. or we go through a divorce yeah. or, or some dark night of the soul, it, it would be disingenuous to say, oh, right. I'm fine. You know? Yeah. I it, mean, it, that's it, not it, life. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we, because we, if we resist our sorrow, it's going to get bigger and bigger. And so go there. It's okay to go there. Somehow we decided, I don't know, some, maybe it's a Midwestern thing, but I, I see it in a lot of places that we need to always appear happy and well and okay. Um, and that if we don't, we're annoying or we're whiners or we're complainers or what. Actually, no, because everybody, if you're able to approach somebody with your most vulnerable self, you know, I had a really rough day. And I don't know why, but I did, and this is what I tried to do, or, you know, or I'm, I'm in deep sorrow or grief, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's okay, and it's okay to go there. Um, and especially kids, I say, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel bad about that. It's okay to be angry. Whatever you're feeling is what you should be feeling. If you fight it, that's when we start to get sick. Right, to go into it and, and explore it and be conscious of it and then to... To be realistic, because I think what happens is if it's so easy, on the other hand, to stay there. And, yeah. and that's yeah. the part that that is, you know, just knowing, you know, that's why it's, it's so interesting in all the cultures about grieving, you know, that you're supposed to grieve in certain, you know, in every religion has how long you're supposed to grieve and you're supposed to really grieve and grieve and grieve and let it out. And then you're not supposed to grieve anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right, it's right. It's like it you're supposed to grieve with every inch of your soul. To, and, then, <laughs> and then be done. <laughs> yeah, because I've, I've done shows on that about grieving. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you don't allow yourself to grieve. It's going to be, like you said, whatever res- we resist persists. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 
there is a like that you know there's a time for everything in the world there's a, a a time and purpose for every season and and so we're supposed to grieve but i think when the difference between grieving and depression is when you can't get out of it i know one of my dear friends married this woman and she had lost her husband and he had lost his wife and they came together and it was beautiful and then many years later after when they were married um her son committed suicide Hmm. and he was there for her to grieve with her and everything, but she could not get out of it. Yeah. yeah and we're talking about years. So that's the difference between being sad and then knowing when, you know, to really allow yourself to grieve and then to recognize that you're on this planet still to 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 be there, to go out, to, to walk your dog, to be in nature, to do all those things. So, mm-hmm. But, you know, I love this book, Dog Medicine, How My Dog Saved Me From Myself by Julie Barton. I mean, I have gone through that myself <clears throat> when I went through my divorce. And, and um, you know, at first we were fighting over dogs. And I finally said, okay, you take the, the collie. You know, I didn't want to fight. And I went and I got my dog Eros and I named him Eros the god of love (laughs) so you know I can really relate that I just think for people who haven't had it haven't had a dog and don't understand it it's almost hard to explain yeah yeah well you know I've had people read the book who say I've never had a dog I don't have any interest in having a dog and this moved me so deeply Yes. Because it's really more about the human condition, and it's about believing in ourselves, and it's about, you know, surviving something traumatic and yes. coming out and realizing, you know, that you're going to be okay, and that, you know, in my particular case, somebody's treatment of me um, that made me, led me to feel like I was less than, I learned over the years in, that it, it didn't have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm, um, right, and this, right. is, this is my brother, and, it, and he's been incredibly gracious about um, me publishing the book and, and supportive, and he is really just completely, he's a grown man now. He's, he's not the kid he was, and talk about generous for letting me tell some of our stories about how hard it was between us as siblings. And I believed some of the things he was telling me about that I wasn't worth it and that I nobody liked me and that I was ugly and that I was stupid and all of those things that I heard a lot right, as a kid right. sunk in. And um, it became my job to pull myself up and, and out of that and try to unlearn it and to try to forgive myself for believing him. Because um, that's one of the things that we do as kids, right? We we hear something and we think, well, that must be true, right. and we unlearn it as we get older. And right. so maybe that isn't true. Maybe it's not true that I was made a mistake or that I was stupid or that nobody liked me. And, and lots know? of times we have this sibling rivalry. Yeah. And parents really need to take parenting classes, I think, on how to deal with that. Yeah, it's a really tough, it's a tough situation. And my parents did their very best, but they were, they missed, they missed how serious it was for me because um, my dad was an only child, didn't have any siblings, and my mom had sisters. 
Um, and so they really did think this was sibling rivalry and on an average, in an average way, and as did I for years and years until I, I started to, you know, have these problems in my life um, where I was so down and um, choosing the wrong men and really having a hard time functioning. And I went into therapy, and they, I told them some of these stories, and they said, well, no wonder. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. what are you talking about? That's stupid. You know, all siblings fight. And they said, no, not like this. Right. And, but a lot uh, of kids go through some trauma with um, with their siblings, so I've yeah. seen it myself, so I can understand. But we are just about out of time. I want you to give your the the name of your book and your website, and it's time to go, believe it or not. Oh, excellent went so fast. Yep. My website is byjuliebarton.com, B-Y, and the book is called Dog Medicine, How My Dog Saved Me From Myself. Well, it's really a beautiful, beautiful book and um, I think that people will enjoy it like you said whether or not they have a dog so thank you Julie and give your doggy a kiss for me I will and I'll give my Jupy and my Mimi a kiss for you (laughs) (laughs) excellent thank you so much for having me okay thank you so much bye 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 You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at at conflicthealing.com. And we hope to have you get back with us next week. Bye-bye. Some people die for love. I believe it's true because I do the same for The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.